All right, I'm just going to share a little bit this morning. This this goes into uh, reconciliation, but it, it goes into uh, so much, so much. I'm just going to read some scriptures so we can see and try and get a sense of the correlation of God's thought about reconciliation. So I'm just going to read Genesis 22, verse 1, that says, It came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, now, he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get you into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his, his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. Keep that in mind, it was a place and it was the third day. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide you here with the mule, with the donkey, and I and the lad, Isaac, will go up yonder and worship, and will come again to you. So we notice right here, there's, there's worship and there's proper worship when there's proper obedience to the will of God through the word of God to a particular place. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went. They went, both of them, together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, well, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the kid, the lamb, for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself for a burnt offering. So they both of them, they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said unto him, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do you anything unto him. For now I know that you fear, you reverence God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son. From me, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and beheld, and behold, caught a ram behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the place, the name of that place, Yahweh Yirah, as it is said. To this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be seen. Yirah. 
uh, Yahweh, Yira, literally means he sees and he provides. In other words, God sees, knows what he needs to be provided for himself. This goes into propitiation. This is teaching propitiation here, which is, as some have said, is the Godward side of the cross. So to see this fulfilled, we also know here from Genesis, the third chapter, and we'll read Genesis 3, and then we'll get to the other scriptures. Genesis chapter 3, and in verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity, strong settled feelings of hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and it, the seed, will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. This is speaking of Christ on Calvary. This is when we see Genesis 3, verse 15, and when we just read those verses in Genesis chapter 22. And so we see that fulfilled in all the, the uh, sacrifices, which have to do with Christ being the type and the fulfillment of them all, and also, of course, all prophecy, too. And then we come to John, the first chapter. In John, the first chapter, all John, what we read in John, the first chapter, was, was written and in the mind of God before any of this that we just read in Genesis. Because Genesis brings us into time where this is eternity. In John 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning, which is eternity, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him. Not anything made, there wasn't anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in darkness, the darkness did not overwhelm it, comprehended it, the King James says, did not overwhelm it. There was a man, in verse 6, sent from God, whose name was John, this is John the Baptist. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all humanity, through him, might believe and have that opportunity. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. If we can only get that straight. We're just vessels, and Christ is the light. Verse 9, that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. And this is not speaking that there was some good still, some good light that was still in man apart from Christ and his fallen state. It has nothing to do with that. It just means that when Christ entered in, and we can see that in Ephesians 4, the ninth chapter, when he entered into the darkness in the ruin of man, Christ was that light that would light up every single person. Verse 10, he was in the world. In the satanic evil world system, he was in the world, and the world, that the earth, was made by him, and the world, all that mass of humanity, didn't know him. He came unto his own, the nation of Israel. And his own received him not, rejected him. But as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power, the right, the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name, which would speak of his, the person that he is, son of God, in the son of man as that sacrifice, to appreciate the Father and then be the substitute, the means by where we would all be reconciled. Again, that would believe on his name, his name and the work that he accomplished by himself alone in Ephesians 2, 8, to 9, 8 through 10, which were born, born again, not of the blood like they were in the first time, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor the will of man, but of God. And the word, here we have the word, here we have again in Genesis 3.15 and Genesis, Genesis chapter 22 in those uh, first verses that we read this morning. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, filled up with all that grace and truth is. This is bringing out the reality of Luke, the first chapter. And we see Luke chapter uh, 1. See Luke chapter 1. In verse 27, it says, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, you are highly favored, the Lord. Hi, you graced out. You are completely graced out. The Lord is with you as a result of that grace and can only be that. Blessed are you among, not above, but among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation, what was this whole message that this angel was bringing her. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor, grace, with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and will call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. That's part of what, of course, came to the Jews first in John 1, verse 11, that rejected him. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This will happen during millennial reign. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How will this be, seeing I don't know a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One, which will be born of you, will be called the Son of God. So we see this in fulfillment. So then we can understand these particular scriptures, and now we're getting to understand reconciliation, which is based upon first the Father being propitiated. There wouldn't be any reconciliation for us. We've been, been, God's been teaching us the last few days about how God never needed to be reconciled. He needed to be propitiated. We needed to be reconciled because we were the ones that were alienated from him. All this time in Isaiah 30, verse 18, God is just waiting to be gracious. Not some legalistic God, but waiting to be gracious. So now we come to and understand these particular scriptures. We see in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God as the Son of God, thought it not robbery or th didn't think that his deity in the expression of it was something to be grasped even though he was equal with God but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness, in the habit of men. He had a human nature, didn't have a sin nature. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, Opposition, things on the earth, millennial kingdom, the kingdom won't end, and things under the earth, those that are in hell and will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity will have to bow. This is what this is bringing up. 
And so now we can understand this and the correlation of, of uh, the beauty of these scriptures that only God could give us. We can understand Hebrews, the second chapter. So we see in Hebrews chapter 2, and we can see this in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, by the suffering of death, only for a little while, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death, separation from God for every man. For it became him, it was everything about him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, this is brought out Hebrews 2.10, Colossians 1 and verse 16, in bringing many sons unto glory, we see the fulfillment of that even when he was speaking in that through the prophet Isaiah, and in, in Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, speaking to them, but also course having us in mind but that was the mystery gospel that was brought out and given to the apostle Paul in Ephesians the third chapter in those first eight verses there and bringing many sons unto glory again this is Isaiah 53 1 through 12 and the mystery of Ephesians 3 1 through 8 to make the captain of their salvation complete through through sufferings for both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name, your nature, and everything about who you are. Unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, really blood and flesh, he also himself likewise took place. God would do that. Part of the same, that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For truly, truly, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Who was the seed of Abraham? In type, Isaac. Again, we read that in, in, in Genesis 22nd chapter. For verily, he didn't take on him the nature of angels, he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him, was everything about him, to be made like unto his brethren, that he, be, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make what? Reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in, for in that he himself has suffered being tested, he is also able to succor them that are also tempted and bring them into a proper place of being tested and proving who they are in him. And so now we can go into here in Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and we can see this in Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 1, it says, For every, every high priest taken from among men is ordained and set for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is Old Covenant. Christ only did this once. We see that in Hebrews 10, the first 14 verses of Hebrews 10. He only did this once. We see that in Hebrews 9, at 24 to 28. So, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? for that he himself also was compassed with infirmity, surrounded by it. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, as also for himself, to offer for sins. Those were the priests. Jesus didn't have to do that for himself. 
And no man takes his honor, this honor unto himself. But he that is called of God, as was, was Aaron. Again, all the types of Christ. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. He did it for his father and his humanity. But he that said unto him, You are my son. Today have I begotten you. As he said also in another place, you are our priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We can get into that at a different time. Who in the days of his flesh, this is Christ, the days of his humanity, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to deliver him from death, going through it and deliver him, and was heard in that he feared, he reverenced his father. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. What was the obedience he had to learn? Well, as a son of God, he never had to learn that, but when he put on humanity to become the son of man, he had to learn obedience by the things that he would suffer. Not in terms of a sin nature, but in terms of his human nature as the sacrifice. And being made complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so we can see that. You can see that to the, to the end of it. And this is where we get, obviously, to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And we see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse, we can see in Hebrews 4, verse 12. We can start at verse 12 and read from verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked, just like Adam was. And we see that all the way back in Genesis, the third chapter, in verses 8 through 12. He was naked even though he tried to cover himself. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Who's that that we have to do? It's the Son, Jesus Christ. The Father gave him and, and gave unto him, in John 5, verse 22, gave him the fact that he would be the judge of all with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we, all of us in Christ, have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, his humanity, the Son of God and His deity. Let us hold fast our, not profession, but our confession, proper word. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points this is tested, tested like as we are, yet without sin, without a sin nature is the way it should be read. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help right in the nick of time. So when we look at all of this, we see how, how that God would, <laughs> the Son of God would enter into humanity and enter into every phase of humanity. Know what it's like to be a babe, 1 John 2, 12 to 4, to, to be a babe, to be a young man and pass through all of those things not with a sin nature, and then to be a dad or reach the age of, to reach this age of fatherhood in that sense and to know what it's like. Yet to pass through all those phases, yet not, not with a sin nature, but with a human nature, felt all of those things that we would 
feel and go through without a sin nature, but go through them because he would learn obedience in these things so that when in his humanity is the son of, and son of God in humanity, truly God and truly man, when he would be crucified, go into the grave for three days, then rise again on the third day. We see this truth brought out in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, brought out very clearly. The third day he rose, and we even see that in type, the third day we read in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. When he would rise up, walk the earth for 40 days, and then descend into heaven and send down the promise that he told his disciples in John 14, verses 16 and 17, to send down the Holy Spirit. He went through all these phases of humanity. I mean, who would do this but God himself? To understand. So that he, Christ, could be a faithful high priest and intercede for us in Romans 8, verse 34, Give us that Holy Spirit that would be in us so we, that we would have a comforter, he, he himself in heaven, pertaining to all about our position in heaven. And while we were on the earth to make that real in our experience, he would give us the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verse 26, who would groan. And that groaning would be as a result of Christ and knowing what that was like while we walked on the earth. That's why we have two comforters in John 14, 16, and 17. But he, Christ, would go through all these phases of humanity so that he could intercede for us in Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. We can see those things very, very clearly in the Scriptures. How much does God love us that he would give us his Son and through every single phase... Maybe there were things that we would miss in our childhood, very young, or in, in our young manhood or womanhood. And then as, as reaching the age of spiritual fathers, of just fathers and mothers, but that he would not miss a thing about that maybe we could miss and he would intercede for us. Again, the, part of this reconciliation, again, that has to do with the father being propitiated first, that Christ would be the substitute would first be that sacrifice for his father. And then as a result of that, God being propitiated, then it would be just and right for, the, for us to receive Christ as our Savior, our substitute, and then be reconciled. But he's reconciled every phase of our whole humanity by, by what he has done. This goes even into the beauty of this. And when I read this, the other day, as God would bring all these scriptures to my mind, the Holy Spirit, in such a beautiful way. And, and, and to see these things, it would be so, so incredible. We see this in Luke, the first chapter, about all these phases. But we see this, and, and what a truth that is brought out in this way. We can see it in Luke, the first chapter where it says in verse 76, and you, child, this is Jesus Christ in his humanity, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission, the canceling, the passing over. They they, they passed over us so that we didn't have to pay for them, but they certainly did not pass over 
just like Abraham. Isaac was spared of Abraham, but God could not spare his son. To do so, there wouldn't be nothing but hell for all of us. To, get, to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender, compassionate mercy of our God, whereby the day spring Christ from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew, think about this, the child grew and was waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel, meaning until he was 30 years of age, until his public ministry, which was only three and a half years, and he was cut off in his prime. <laughs> in the prime of his life, he was cut off. Didn't get to experience it further. But he certainly did enough for us and did far more than, than enough. But can you imagine, in every phase of his humanity, Every single phase of his humanity. Can you just picture him as a child? Things happening to him. Feeling things as a very young child. A feeling them. No sin nature, but feeling them. And what, what it, how it must have went into him. In his childhood. And as he's growing, seeing these things. In this world of sin and darkness. Seeing things and hearing things and what an effect that must have had on him in his childhood just like for us in our childhood and then as a, as as he's growing and he's growing into a young man <laughs> and beginning to realize and always knew it in terms of his deity as the son of god but realizing in his growth as now to become the son of man to be that sacrifice God, knowing that, yes, he's, that, he's going to be that sacrificial lamb that would deal with the sin issue, not personal sins, but the sin issue in John 1 and verse 29 and verse 36. He would be that lamb uh, in terms of his humanity that would be slain from the foundation of the earth in Revelations 13 and verse 8, that work that would be finished in Hebrews 4 verse 3 from even before God ever formed the earth. Just think of it. He always saw, in, his, in this exchange of the Father and Son in John 1 and verse 1, he never saw his Son, and the Son never saw himself outside of that Lamb that would propitiate the Father. Boy, what an amazing thing to consider. That finally he's growing into his manhood now and still going through this world system. All those things entering into him. No sin nature, but all that evil having an effect on him. Then realizing that he's going to be, he's that lamb. Oh God. And he set his face like a flint. You see that in Isaiah, the 50th chapter. And you can see it in verses 4 through 6. You can see it. He set his face like a flint. Going through those six trials and those beatings, nothing could stop him from going to the cross because he knew he would be that lamb. That would take away the sin issue, but then would be that substitute for all those that would receive him in dealing with their sins. And this is brought out again in Leviticus, the first chapter, in the fourth verse. He would do that for each individual. And that's why in, he, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where it says, work out your own salvation. 
something that Jesus Christ did personally for each individual. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling, for it is God which works in you, both the will, him, Christ being the will that fulfilled the will and finished the work in John 4 and verse 34. That God would do that. Work out your own salvation, your whole Christian life. From the time you were born again till you see Christ in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. Until then, work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do, to receive the doing of what he finished, of his good pleasure. You see this all the way through. You can see it all the way through with this, that he would do that. Only God could do something like that. You talk about the love of God, John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, not the evil world system, but the mass of humanity. God so loved every single human being that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have eternal life and come out of everlasting life and into eternal life. What an amazing thing that we have with our Savior. This is the one who intercedes for us, literally, knows what it's like. It's what Job prayed for in the midst of his trials in Job 9, verse 33. He said, I wish there was a daysman. We heard about the daysman, Christ coming from on high. High. He had to come down. There's no way we could go up as a ruined race, as ruined individuals. He had to come down. He did in humanity. He came down into the midst of darkness as it was, again, was brought out in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 9. He came down to deliver us, which he's done. And Job cried out, oh, I wish there was a daysman, one who could touch God and his deity and one who could touch me and my humanity. And we see the truth of that, the truth of it. And Job said it in Job 19, 25 and 26, though worms destroy this physical body, yet I will know I will stand because I know my Redeemer lives and I will see him, I will face him. We can see all of this accomplished in the scriptures and it, and it is finished. There's not another name under heaven whereby men might be saved, but by the name, the nature, the very person of work and his accomplishment in Acts 4.12. And that's why the fulfillment of Job 9 and verse 33 is brought out in 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. And he knows how to intercede for us. Through every phase, he's been with us. He's been with us through childhood, through young man and womanhood, right into old age. No wonder in Psalm 92, verse 14, they will continue to bring forth the fruit, the fruit of the accomplishment of Christ himself, not their fruit, the fruit of what he accomplished, even in their old age. What a beautiful thing. What an amazing thing we have. So, Father, we thank you so much for what we have in you, for what you've done, what you're continuing to do. And soon, soon, some sooner than others, we'll see you face to face and have a fellowship with you. And eat the hidden manna. In Revelations 2 and verse 17, eat the hidden manna. And you'll give them a white stone. And on that stone, a new name inscribed that only he, Christ, who gives it to that individual will know the depth 
of that eternal, the depth of that work that Christ was and is in them. And this beautiful exchange for all eternity, that white stone and that hidden manna. And thank you, Father. We can still partake of it even now as you prepare us on our journey. And in this world system, just like Jesus was in John 17 and verse 14, he was in it, but nothing about him was of it. And neither it is for us in John 17 and verse 16. And we don't love it. We don't love the world. And these are things that are in the world so that the love of the Father can continue to be our only authority and not not to leave it in Revelations 2 and verse 4 until we see you face to face, never again to be separated for all eternity. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.